0: I was struggling to find, is there a way that we can hold on to some level of community in spite of this? There's nothing to lose. You know why? Because we never had it.
1: He's just a circus performer. This is his circus, and you can always exit the tent.
2: Part 5,
3: Reckoning. Part of me just wonders, like, is he just, like, is he laughing at us? Was he laughing at us at the time, you know? And just sitting here thinking, like, these idiots will believe anything I say just because I'm an authentic Indian yoga guru. We were all kind of under that spell.
2: Once your vision of something or someone is shattered, you can't unshatter it. When somebody like Bikram does what Bikram is accused of doing, assaulting half a dozen women betraying the trust of tens of thousands of people, it's not always easy to figure out the way forward. There's a desire for justice, of course, but getting it isn't always easy or fair. The stories of the sexual assaults of Sarah Bond and Larissa Anderson and Jane Doe three and Maggie Gentner and Dana McClellan and Jill Lawler were brought to the people whose job you would think it was to guarantee justice. The Los Angeles Police Department and the Los Angeles District Attorney. But they decided not to bring charges, and Bikram denied all the accusations. Still, though, the women wanted to force some kind of reckoning for Bikram. So they tried the only other option that the court system allowed civil lawsuits suing Bikram
3: for damages. It's now a new lawsuit filed this month has a half dozen women accusing him of sexual assault. For five decades, he's built a yoga empire, which right now might be crumbling since five former students accused him of rape and one accused him of sexual assault. The six women who
2: accused Bikram of sexual assault and rape have always maintained the lawsuits were not about money. They were about justice and acknowledgement. They were about accountability.
0: The jury is in, and as he left court in Los Angeles today... Please do bother. Please. ...one of the most successful yoga gurus in the world is
2: now in a hot mess.
4: I feel vindicated. I'm elated.
2: A woman did win a judgment against Bikram, but it wasn't any of the women who had been assaulted. It was his former attorney, Miki jaffa Bowden.
1: My professional relationship ended
2: when I was fired by Mr. Chowdhury. She sued for wrongful termination
1: and sexual harassment. A Los Angeles jury hit Vikram Choudhury with nearly $7.5 million in damages to his former legal advisor. More than
5: $7 million awarded to one victim. I'm still a little uh, gobsmacked
6: by it, yes.
2: <laughs> Most reporting focused on the sheer size of the judgment and glossed over the fact that none of the $7 million was going to the women who had been assaulted. In December of 2015, just weeks before Bikram's trial with Mickey began, Bikram and Rajashri filed for divorce. It wasn't like the divorce happened because Rajashri was denouncing Bikram for what he had done. Many people in the community say they hadn't really been together as husband and wife for years. But making it official with a divorce ensured that Rajashree would not be liable for damages in Bikram's cases. And what concerned Mickey's lawyers was that it also gave Bikram a way, on paper at least, to transfer his assets to Rajasri's name so that they would be protected from legal claims. Like the $7 million he was not paying Mickey. The divorce settlement gives almost everything to Rajasri. Though there's no real indication that she actually received any of it. A judge did order Bikram to hand over much of what remained to Mickey, his company, and a fleet of luxury cars. But the company was basically worthless, and his cars were long gone. He's got
7: a luxury car collection. He moved them out of the state. He's trying to ship them to Dubai. So we went in and got orders from the court saying you cannot move these assets anymore, and he kept doing it.
2: The six women who accused Bikram of more serious crimes have not been afforded the kind of justice they hoped for. After endless delays, five of the six opted for small monetary settlements. Only Jill Lawler remains, hoping to get her day in court. In May of 2017, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Bikram Chowdhury, but not for sexual assault. The warrant was for refusing to pay what he owed Mickey Jaffa Bowden.
0: An arrest warrant issued for a famous fitness expert, a master at yoga known around the world. The founder of Bikram Yoga, accused of hiding assets and now fleeing the country amid allegations of sex assault.
2: Bikram fled the country. But he may not have to stay away all that much longer. In the fall of 2017, he filed for bankruptcy, which could wipe out everything that he owes and could even potentially clear the warrant for his arrest.
1: There are many of us that still communicate with him. I mean, it's not like he's gone. He's just sort of left the building temporarily. I don't know. Who knows if he'll be back in the U.S. It's not like he's some maharaja or the Wizard of Oz behind a veil. It's he's super available.
2: I followed him bouncing between Mexico and India and Thailand and Dubai through his daughter's Instagram account. He's not hiding. He's just doing things outside of the United States. Including his teacher trainings.
7: Hey, here you go. We're right here in Mexico, El Capulco, This is where it's all at. Bikram Yoga teacher training.
2: Bikram Chowdhury still leads nine-week Bikram Yoga teacher trainings twice a year. To
7: be here because it's going to be off the hook.
2: There were 70 students in the fall 2017 training. That's a far cry from his all-time high of 525 students. But it's still 70 people who paid more than $10,000 to study with him. I went to Mexico to meet him at the training he was holding in a hotel in Acapulco. Before Bikram would agree to a recorded interview, he wanted to size me up with no microphones. His assistant brought me up to a suite where I was introduced to Bikram's two kids. And then to Bikram, in his signature skin-tight mesh black top and a pair of warm-up pants. "'Let her sit next to me,' he said. "'I know she's not going to sue me for sexual harassment.' I was a little nervous, unsure of being on my own in a foreign country with a man accused of violent crimes, and unsure of where the conversation would go. But Vikram immediately started talking and never stopped. He told me he was bigger than Michael Jackson in India, that he cured former Attorney General Janet Reno of her Parkinson's disease. That his appearance on 60 Minutes in 2005 was the highest rated show in the history of television. I expected to be able to recognize the man that people say he once was, to catch a glimpse of his compassion, his genius. But I didn't. It was pure ego. We went down to the restaurant, where Bikram told me he never eats, even as he was shoving a creamy pasta dish from the buffet into his mouth, he pulled out his phone and showed me old photos of him in his prime, young Vikram in his black speedo doing yoga, a t-shirt design his son did for Bikram Yoga, a photo of Britney Spears in a bikini. It was totally unclear why he even had it. At some point, the bragging shifted From an old man trying to relive his glory days of decades ago, to the kind of bragging you use to show your power. He told me, you know, I was India's first brand. He said journalists are responsible for cancer. He told me he was done with America. He talked about how stupid we are, how we fucked up, how he had sacrificed so much for us and we were too dumb to get it, and he was done with us now. By hour three, Bikram's monologue had turned to his legal troubles. I'm not a saint, he told me. I have a girlfriend. He asked if I'd met Maggie Genthner and then said, I never touched her. She smells. There had been a kind of manic warmth about Bikram when we first met, but by the end of the night, that lightness was gone. His stories now were about the women who had killed themselves because he wouldn't sleep with them, and the one who wasn't successful in her attempt and broke every bone in her body. His eyes were dark and vacant. I was in the presence of a person who felt completely gone. We parted ways so he could deliver his evening lecture. He bounded on stage in front of 70 students shouting, I'm in a weird fucking mood tonight. The next day, I got on a plane and went home. Bikram's lawyers wouldn't allow him to give me a formal interview. That was the last contact I had with Bikram Chowdhury.
4: I'm John Bryan. I am a restructuring specialist.
2: Bikram Yoga and its affiliated companies are in bankruptcy. Bikram Chowdhury still owns the company but has resigned from all day to day positions. The person actually in charge day-to-day is John Bryan, the acting CEO. He's a specialist in distressed assets, a turnaround artist. And he's trying to find a path forward in the wake of all the settlements.
4: Which creditor comes first? Who has priority? Who gets money first? If, if there's only a little bit of money to give to creditors, who's going to get it? Who's not going to get it?
2: But John Bryan doesn't see his job as just making sure the Bickram company gets out from under its financial obligations. He thinks he can relaunch the Bikram brand.
4: You know, there were hamburgers before McDonald's, and there was was chicken before Kentucky Fried Chicken, and there was yoga before Bikram Chowdhury, but Bikram did a similar thing. He created a global brand where none existed before. He thinks he can
2: help make Bikram bigger and more influential than ever.
4: We are going to be all about female empowerment. We are going to be the absolute poster child for how you empower women. That's what we're going to be all about. And we're going to show the world that people can come back from these terrible types of problems that this company has had and survive and not only survive, but thrive. And that's our goal.
2: How how do you? I mean, that sounds like a great goal. But how, how do you do it? But I, how do you do it with Bickram involved? I mean, how could anything with him still involved well, be I think, the epitome of female you know, empowerment?
4: Uh, uh, well, and let me. When I say involved, he's a shareholder, and he was the founder. He did some great things. He did some. Horrific things. With that said, we're never going to leave the fact that he was the founder and built this company. Ray Kroc is still the founder of McDonald's. The Henry Ford was the founder of Ford Motor Company. Now, Henry Ford had some points of view that were anathema to the world. You know what? The name is still on the front of those buildings.
2: Throughout the country, studio owners are weighing that exact question. Do you take Bikram's name off the front of your building? Do you keep practicing, teaching? Tiffany Rhodes Friedman, a studio owner in Manhattan Beach, California, decided to take his name off her business and walk away from his yoga.
1: I think for me, you know, I wanted to be a great teacher. You know, I think... When you're brainwashed, you think you're changing people's lives, but ultimately, you know, all that goodness that we think we're doing, is it really good? Or are we just buying into something that's damaging a whole lot of people? And, you know, for me, that's when I had to walk away. I thought, I am in this to help people, to make people feel better. And if I continue to participate in something that is harmful to even one person, then I can't. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it and sleep well at night.
2: For studio owner Eric Jennings from Decatur, Georgia, who's owned his studio since 2002, the decision wasn't as black and white.
0: There are people who just can't accept that the yoga is valid anymore because of its association with Picrim. And I understand that emotionally, but I can't deny my own experience um, uh, of of the yoga and seeing what an amazing practice it is and, and how profoundly helpful and healing it can be for so many people.
2: But he'd seen the pain in his community and felt like he had to say something.
0: It was enough to um, cause me to call all my teachers together and to make a formal announcement that we were uh, distancing ourselves. And I I published the letter that I wrote terminating my relationship with Bikram Yoga Incorporated, and I posted that letter on my yoga studio website.
2: Still, he was initially reluctant to take Bikram's name off his studio.
0: Largely from fear, because I had created a brand, a local brand, and I was afraid that that changing the name would really hurt the business. But when I did finally, a year later, change my name, it was one of the best things that's ever happened to my studio. People came out of the word word work to thank me. Uh, We had some students that we hadn't seen for a long time come back to practice at our studio again who told us, we didn't want to tell you why we left, but we left because we thought you were financially contributing to Bikram Yoga, and so we didn't want to support that.
2: Studio owner Val Sklar also struggled with the decision. And after more than 15 years of owning her studio, she broke with
3: Bikram and changed her studio name. My choice is to disassociate and continue to teach this yoga that's brilliant and to continue to practice this yoga that there's just nothing like it. And that's my passion. That's my belief.
2: The choice is more complicated for studio owners than, say, should I boycott this movie because the director is accused of rape? Boycotting Bikram would be like boycotting their own businesses, their own community, their own identities. Even taking down the name Bikram is hard for some people to adjust to, like studio owner Martha Williams, because that word Bikram had come to stand for a lot more than just the man Bikram Chowdhury.
1: You know, Bikram, the word Bikram means victory. It's something that has a larger meaning than just this guy's name. It is a big, giant system of yoga that many, many people do. And it is a very specific thing.
2: Bikram is the name of the man, the name of the yoga he claims to have created, and the name of the entire community of people who came to benefit from and love this practice.
1: You know, looking back, you could say, well, he was in a position of power and he abused his power. Well, I'm like, who gave him that power? I went to him to learn 26 postures. I did not go to him because I thought he was a guru. I don't know, I sometimes think, like, did I just think he was some sort of
5: necessary evil? I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. So I'm going to tell it, Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
2: There's a phrase I heard so much doing
1: this story. Separate the man from the yoga and just move on.
2: That expression, separate the man from the yoga, it's been around a long time. In the advice to trust the process and only take from Bikram what was useful, to ignore the rest of what would come out of his mouth, no matter how terrible. When Janelle Leet told a senior teacher about the night in his hotel room and was told that it was her responsibility to never be alone with him again. There had long been an attempt to keep bad, fallible Bikram the man, separate from Bikram the yoga. That was like a slogan for when the allegations first came out. Jill Lawler heard this line, separate the man from the yoga, over and over when she came forward with her story.
6: And it was an excuse for people to sweep the issue under the rug. They would say, separate the man from the yoga and shut up and do your yoga instead of actually acknowledging that they had been following and worshiping a a rapist for so many years. For decades, this was the
2: way for Bikram's followers to square his actions with their love of the practice. But perhaps the path forward is not to separate the man from the yoga, but to reconcile them. As Benjamin Lore points out, that's a core tenet of the yoga itself.
7: Hatha yoga is predicated on the resolution of uh, dichotomies and resolving these kind of opposites. And there's one etymology of hatha, which may or may not be correct, where ha is sun and tha is moon. And hatha yoga is kind of resolving these opposites. And Bikram certainly contains those opposites.
2: I needed to reconcile those things, too. And in trying to do that, I kept thinking about something else I learned when I was in India— something I heard from almost everyone I spoke with. The very center of Bikram's identity, the detail he sold all his students on, it's a lie. He was not a high-level expert in advanced yoga. That, at least, I know very well. Bikram was never a child yoga prodigy. He was never a yoga prodigy at all. He didn't come to Gosha's college until he was a teenager, and he learned weightlifting and massage. Bikramda was more known as a very skilled masseur. Mukul Duda was also a student of Bikram's guru, Bishnu Ghosh. And he told me one more detail about all those yoga championships Bikram said he won. Around what year would the, uh, the National India Yoga Championships have started?
5: National't
2: uh, a...
1: When did the national yoga competition start?
2: National <laughs> yoga Federation? competition, national yoga competition started much later, hmm. much later. That time my master was not alive. That was much later.: There weren't national yoga championships until the 1970s, after Bishnu Ghosh died and after Bikram left Calcutta. Each lie, in and of itself, is simple. Maybe not even all that important, but taken together, they change everything. We all believed without question that he had grown up a yogi, a gifted yogi, a champion. And everything Bikram had, all his power and respect and authenticity, came from this. There is no pretending Bikram never happened. There's no erasing his name from the history books. His legacy is spread too far and too wide. But Bikram Chowdhury didn't make Bikram Yoga the phenomenon he did all on his own.
0: I feel like studio owners like myself should share the credit in making Bikram Yoga the phenomenon that it became. All credit to Bikram for creating it and for disseminating it, distributing it, proselytizing for it. But I want some of the credit for making it accessible to um, the population that practices at my studio.
2: There are so many people who have opened studios and taught this yoga and spread it far and wide. To lots of students who never even knew that Bikram was an actual living person. And if Bikram yoga is bigger than just Bikram Chowdhury then maybe it's possible for the practice to evolve and transcend his shortcomings as a human being. Maybe there is a way to take the good in what Bikram created and move forward. That's
6: what Jill Lawler is trying to do. I didn't practice for years. I missed it the whole time. I recently came back and started practicing. It's a whole new kind of practice for me. Jill doesn't practice at studios that still use Bikram's name or are owned
2: by people who support him. And now, when she walks in a studio, she no
6: longer has secrets. People know what happened to her. And the reason it was hard for me to do it for a few years is because I couldn't separate the man from the yoga, and I didn't really want to. So Jill had started doing kundalini yoga. And I was going every day, and I loved it. And then I started researching the founder, Yogi Bhajan. Guess what? He's also been accused of, like, similar things as Bikram, and that was really disheartening. I was like, fuck. Like, <laughs> is there a style of yoga that isn't founded by a rapist? Stephanie Simon
2: wrote a history of yoga in America called The Subtle Body, and she says the problem of sexual abuse is widespread.
1: Bikram's scale of abuse, I think, is, is notable, but the fact that he abused his devotees is, is not special. That is true of almost every single uh, Indian guru who came to America. There are very few that you can point to that are clean. It's a
2: huge dilemma for a lot of people who love yoga. How do you make sense of a practice that has healed you, coming from a guru who has revealed himself to be
6: a predator? They both have these founders that are accused of these things, but the yoga's both made me feel so good, so like... Am I deceiving myself by not doing them? Like, who's punishing who kind of thing?
2: Right now, it feels a little like the Wild West. This community went from operating under the strictest of confines, only Bikram's class, only Bikram's way, only by Bikram teachers, to an uncertain future where it's up to them to define what they practice and what they teach and how. A vast majority of studios have dropped the word Bikram from their name. Almost every studio has broken Bikram's cardinal rule. There are 60-minute Bikram classes, hot Pilates, hot Vinyasa, hot you name it. New teacher trainings that don't involve Bikram Chowdhury are popping up everywhere. For the first time, there is freedom to take from Bikram what they want and to leave what they don't.
3: He had a profound impact on my life. And this is what people don't understand. He saved so many lives. This yoga saved so many lives. I mean, I, at 28, I was taking three drugs, five years away from a hip replacement, I, and back then they weren't as good as they are now. It's, it's hard to explain that.
7: At a certain point, it's not helpful to denigrate the success stories of Vikram yoga, because if people are coming up to you and telling you that this yoga changed my life for the better and this yoga allows me to walk normally and hold down my job, uh, you should take them seriously. They're not just crazy-eyed cultists. They're really thoughtful people.
0: You know, I wish life were black and white and simple, but it's really, really messy but that's the reality that we're faced with and we have to find ways to come to terms with, with both.
3: It was such an important part of, of my life. I just love my body in those postures. Yeah. I love feeling the shift of the weight on my foot, on my mm-hmm. standing foot. I love the feeling of having that perfect contraction yeah. in your leg where you're not hyperextending and you're just contracting just enough and finding that balance and standing bow where it does feel effortless.
7: I mean, he's created a yoga that has healed and helped tens of thousands of people at minimum and that has hurt and destroyed thousands of lives. And there's no arguing with either sides of those coins. I
3: do think that the the yoga has a huge potential to help people transform. And maybe there will be a day when people can do the yoga and not even know that there was ever this creepy fucking dude with a skullet behind it. I think there there has to be like a new era. It's officially upon us.
8: Thanks for listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. This season was produced and reported by Julia Lowry Henderson. My name is Jody Avergan. I'm the host and senior producer of the show and served as lead editor for this season as well. Our series editor is Aaron Leiden, Deirdre Fenton was production manager for this series, and we had additional editing help from Keith Romer. Kate McAuliffe was production assistant for the series, and Vin D'Anton is our associate producer. Ryan Ross Smith provided mixing, sound design, and original music for the entire season. We love the music he wrote for this series. You can find a link to more of it and more of Ryan's work at our website, 30for30podcast.com slash Bikram. Also on the website, you can see and read more about Bikram Yoga, see some photos, learn about some upcoming live events, and watch a video of Julia discussing reporting this story, which took almost a year and a half. Once again, that's 30for30podcast.com 30 30 slash Bikram. The rest of the 30 for 30 podcast team includes producers Ryan Nantel and Andrew Mambo. For ESPN Films, our executive producers are Connor Schell and Libby Geist. Our development team is Adam Newhouse and Jenna Anthony. The rest of our team includes Jennifer Thorpe, Kath Sankey, Louise Argianis, Maria Delgado, Tom Picard, Paul Willard, Eve Wolf, and Alex Bowen. The ESPN audio team includes Trog Keller, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannisini, Ryan Graner, Devin McGowan, and Elizabeth Fearman. Special thanks to Kate LaRue, Kate Elasgry, Justin McGraw, and Tony Chow. We got editorial help from Barbara Rabb and Lisa Pollock. production help from Krista Ripple, archival research from Leah Harari, Jason Helig, and Chi Young Park, legal research from Haley Fox, fact-checking from Roger Jackson, and a big thank you to ESPN's Carrie Potts. Special thanks to Mike Mayle, Tony and Sandy Sanchez, Kir Delay and Mia Dillion, Ann Callion, Lekha Shalom, Pedro Vargas, Rebecca Greenfield, Jason Coons, Alex Cuervo, and a big shout out to Dana Duke and Big Twig Studio. Thanks to Kathakali Jana, our fixer in Calcutta, and a very special thank you to Jerome Armstrong and Ida Joe, who made the India trip possible. Jerome Armstrong's book, Calcutta Yoga, is out now. Our theme music was composed by Rishikesh Hirwe of Song Exploder. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30.